Hey, it's Stu with Bitcoin and Financial Independence, and today is going to be a bit more off-the-cuff, unscripted, just sharing some of my thoughts that I've had. Um, the point of this podcast is somewhat geared towards Bitcoiners, and obviously I cover Bitcoin news, but really what I'm trying to do is somewhat strike a balance between the traditional financial world and the Bitcoin world. I'm not gearing my content exclusively towards Bitcoiners, but I want to help clear up the misunderstandings that people have about Bitcoin so that they feel comfortable getting at least some allocation to it and understanding it and being able to protect it and avoid scams. So that's my goal as a Bitcoiner. But I recognize that we live in the traditional finance world for the most part, and we all have mortgages and stocks and 401ks and IRAs, health savings accounts and different places. And while I admire Bitcoiners, that are all in on Bitcoin, that have sold their real estate portfolios and sold their stocks for Bitcoin. I don't know that I'm at that point, although personally, I think I have the conviction and I, the understanding to where I would feel comfortable doing that. But I also have to consider my wife and she's been extremely supportive of how much I've already put into Bitcoin and just uh, getting a, a pretty good balance between Bitcoin, stocks and real estate. We have pretty equal allocations to these different asset classes. And uh, it's a tough balance to strike because she doesn't study it. She's not into it like I am. And while she understands it to some degree, I think she would be a Bitcoiner. Like if I were to die, I think that she would probably continue to buy Bitcoin. Well, at least I kind of hope she would. But who knows for sure? That's a good question I should ask her. But anyway, the point is, is that going all in is not what most people are going to do. And, you know, there's this whole idea of like we need to get people to just get off zero, just get any allocation. So that's what I want to talk about today is things that have been weighing on my mind and how I'm feeling about these different asset classes. It seems like the more I learn and understand about all of these asset classes, the more confused I get with what to do. And I know this is frustrating for my wife because she is the one that has to hear about it. So now I'm going to share this with you. But how I think about things when it comes to stocks it's changed for me a little bit ever since episode 80 and I got to talk to Greg Foss and how passive index funds in a way are anti-American because they don't allow for what's called creative destruction where bad and obsolete companies get pushed out by new and innovative companies. For example, Western Union, a company that does remittances, which you can do for way less fees with Bitcoin or stablecoins, yet we still continue to buy these businesses. And that's just one small example. But the point is, is that you are blindly allocating money and propping up their stock and propping up their valuation, whether they are a good company or not. And obviously, they fall out of the index fund at a certain point in their decline, and they will get replaced by another company that's doing better in that sector. But at the same time, you're still buying losers. And I don't mean to go into ESG, but I kind of think about ESG myself in a different way. One of the most popular things and pretty much what I've done my whole time investing is buy the S&P 500 index fund from Vanguard, VOO or VTSAX, that's the total stock market. So in either case, through my 401ks and IRAs and HSAs, I have been buying these funds for about 12 years and getting exposure to either the 500 biggest companies in America across every sector or about 3,800 companies uh, in America, again, weighted by market cap and just getting exposure to everything. Now, ESG, depending on where you are politically, you know that can be an interesting topic. That stands for environmental social governance, and just that you want to buy companies that are environmentally friendly and that are uh, focused on equality 
with the the social side of things and the G good governance. I'm not sure exactly what all that entails. But what I've started to think about is my own personal ESG because ESG means different things to different people. Like some people might not want to buy uh, stock in Remington because they're a gun manufacturer and they're against guns. Uh, other people might want to buy stock in that company. So you can see how this environmental social governance issue can quickly become polarized and it's hard to find a fund that might line up with your own individual values. And I'm finding that for myself a little bit. Like, for example, uh, Altria or Phillips Morris, I believe, is a stock, a tobacco stock, makes cigarettes, and it's in the S&P 500. And I buy that whenever I buy the S&P 500. Whenever my dividends get reinvested, I already own a bunch of its stocks, and I'm supporting the market cap of that company passively. I don't really support that company, and I would love to not have an ownership position in a company that benefits from uh, addicting people to their substances and damaging their health. And the other thing that Bitcoiners have really gotten me into recently is learning more about health and seed oils. Seed oils are basically these industrial products that have been put into food. These really disgusting, smelly things that are so processed. And like I said, they were engineered for industrial things. But now you find it in vegetable oil. They call it vegetable oil because it sounds healthier. It's just a marketing name, but it's really you could say like toxic sludge for your body, but we we all cook with it. We have some in our house right now. And it's in a lot of the foods that you eat. Canola oil. All these oils are supposedly very inflammatory. Now I'm just learning about this and we've made some steps to buy different brands of cereals that don't have seed oils uh, on Thrive Market and, and also trying to buy different foods with different things. And this is all also being enforced by this guy that I follow on LinkedIn. His name is Robert Lufkin. He is a MD. He was a medical school professor at UCLA and uh, another college. And he's coming out with this book called Lies I Taught in Medical School. I'm really interested to learn more about him. He's a consultant on metabolic disease. And everything he posts, it's a lot about dietary stuff. Uh, but basically, he, he talks about how there's all these perverse incentives and there's all these ties between the food companies in America and like the added sugar and what's put into modern day food and what is buying the heart healthy images from the American Heart Association or the American Diabetes Association. All these organizations that are bought and there are basically captive of the food producers. And it just bugs me, even when it comes to soap and shampoo and lotion and nail polish and all these things that have chemicals in them. I sound like a hippie right now. I know it's crazy, but I think about these things and you see these things with the prevalence of cancers and the prevalence of, of uh, you know, kids are even hitting puberty younger and younger. And does it have something to do with the chemicals that are in the water? I've been hearing uh, news reports about what are known as forever chemicals in the water and microplastics. And we're eating like a credit card of plastic every week that's in our food and the glyphosates that are on the grains and are in your goldfish crackers and your cereals and your breads. You know, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not into all this stuff, but I do see this issue with added sugars at least and the seed oils. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm learning. That's all I'm doing. I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but what I am saying as well is that I don't like looking at this ingredient list and not knowing what the heck I'm eating because half the ingredients list sounds made up and you can tell it's just kind of processed garbage. Um, I'm getting really a lot more interested in single ingredient foods, foods that are not processed. And I'm trying to help my kids choose those foods as well. 
it's tough because these foods are addicting. So, okay, I rambled enough on that. But my point is that I'm buying Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson when I buy the S&P 500. I believe they're in the S&P 500 index fund. Um, because, you know, I've thought about like, well, if I don't want to own certain things, then maybe I should buy dividend funds. Well, Altria and Philip Morris's tobacco makers that I mentioned earlier, they're also big dividend payers. And over time, they've raised the cost of their products uh, a bunch over time, partially because uh, there's taxes and partially because their user base is shrinking because they're killing their user base. So I don't want to own some of these dividend funds because I'm buying more shares of these companies I don't like. And I don't want to own Johnson & Johnson. I don't want to own Procter & Gamble. There's certain companies that I don't want to own because they're complicit, I think, with, you could say, big food, uh, which turns us into customers of big pharma. So I don't know. Maybe I've lost it at this point. But the point is, is that I'm starting to question, you know, do I want to buy losers in the S&P 500? Do I want to buy companies that I disagree with their values in the S&P 500? Okay, maybe I'll switch to dividend funds. Well, do I want to buy these processed garbage foods and chemical makers? I don't know. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, but uh, I'm leaning towards I don't. So another type of ETF that's really done well and had about the same performance as the S&P 500 and Vanguard's fund VOO, uh, there's this VNQ, this is the Vanguard Real Estate Index Fund ETF shares, okay? And this is basically a basket of real estate investments. It's everything. I, I think it's medical properties, it's apartment complexes, it's warehouses, it's data centers, it's commercial buildings, it's office space, it's all these things, okay? So you diversify across the entire real estate market across the whole country. And right now the dividend yield is 4.88%, and it's really not done well in the last year, kind of falling from the spike of 2021 and like the COVID spike that we had. Um, it's overall pretty flat from 2015 to 2023. But the point is that you're getting a bigger dividend. You're making almost 5%. But I can make 5% of my bank right now, my high-yield saving account online. Again, I question buying REITs as well because I think about remote work and a bunch of commercial office space. Right now, probably sitting empty. Um, nice buildings, probably not, but like the second-tier buildings, probably. And so I've thought about maybe trying to make some bets on sector-specific REITs, like maybe I look into more storage units rates. Um, even even during a recession, those can be good if people downsize their house or sell a house, move to an apartment, um, you know, basically cash out, they have to stay afloat and they buy storage units. Those can be pretty recession resistant. Uh, you can buy medical facilities. I'm looking at this one REIT. It's Medical Properties Trust. It had a new 52-week low today. It's fallen dramatically this year. So I thought investing in medical properties might be a good way to go about things, but it's not. Um, now, the plus side is even though the stock has dropped super far, they have to pay, like a REIT has to pay 10% of all their profits out to shareholders. Right now, this dividend yield is 11.36%. So huge dividend yield right now. You could put your money into this. It's $5 a share and earn 11% and hope it doesn't crash. It's almost as low as it was back in 2009. So I'm curious what's going on with this stock here and what properties they own. But anyway, apparently medical properties might not be the way to go either. So it's tough for me. I'm trying to find where to put money in my HSA. We just switched insurance plans and we're going to have an HSA again. I haven't been putting money into my IRAs. I haven't been putting money into my 401k. 
and we haven't had an HSA for for uh, probably a year, year and a half, uh, maybe longer. But we did just switch our health plan through my wife's business, and now we're gonna max out an HSA for this year and next year. And we have to start thinking about how we're gonna invest and what we're gonna put this money into. So it's really tough. I've talked about some of the Bitcoin miner stocks. I own some of those. Maybe I need to do a deeper dive on some of those. And I also have my Bitcoin IRA. That's what I would prefer to do with my IRAs. Um, I had it through Swan and I transferred it to Unchained Capital to do collaborative cold storage multi-sig. So that's what I do with IRAs now as I use it for uh, Bitcoin if I'm going to add to it. But yeah, it's tough because when it comes to stocks, I just don't know what to allocate to unless I want to buy individual stocks. And at one point I had used Motley Fool during COVID and they had me buying like Zoom Teladoc and all these other tech stocks that flew during COVID and I doubled what was my HSA. My HSA is now lower than it was in 2021. So it's actually come back down and I've lost some money, but I pretty much went to cash with a little bit of Bitcoin miners there. So again, like I'm just struggling with what to do with stocks because none of it really excites me. So there's stocks and then real estate. It's so tough because, you know, we moved to where we live now um, and we bought our house for 250000 And I share some of that in an episode about my real estate journey. Um, but the game has changed. Interest rates are so high and home prices are still so high. Uh, now homes in my neighborhood go for 350 to 380 I mean, that's a lot of cash up front and the payment is going to be crazy. Like my current payment is somewhere around $1,400. And now with a 7% mortgage, it's going to be so much more. So I'm looking at real estate, but now with the interest rates so high and just the overall price, you know, we had actually thought about buying other homes in our neighborhood back when they were 250, hoping they would stay around 250, 260 to 70 and really didn't see them breaking 300 anytime soon. And that's what all of our houses have done. So it takes a lot more money up front. That game has changed for us. And unless I want to go out of state or out of town and try to be a little bit more of a long distance landlord. That takes a lot more planning. You need a property manager. You need a maintenance team. You, you need to have some connections with good, reputable contractors and plumbers and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I struggle to know what to do with that. And I've got my one rental and I'm trying to decide, do we just sell it, take the money and put it in a high yield savings account? Um, again, but when I hold cash, what I'm doing is propagating the existing fiat system because they're going to do fractional reserve lending. They're going to lend out 10x whatever I deposit, and it's going to create more money in the system. And it's not quite going to keep up with inflation either to earn just a four or 5% in my high yield savings account. So again, I just don't know what to do. Like, do I sit on cash? Do I keep a little bit of cash, you know, maybe three to six months worth, sit on Bitcoin? Uh, I mean, that's, what I've come down to is I only like Bitcoin or I only like paid off properties. I recently listened to an episode with Jimmy Song uh, on the Stephen Lavera podcast, and he talks about how debt is immoral, and he goes into the different reasons for that and how it propagates the the fiat system and fractional reserve lending helps enable more inflation and different things like that. So very interesting episode. I'll link that in the show notes. But that is something that it's made me think, well, if I'm going to own my rental, I either want to sell it or I want to own it free and clear, which I could probably pay it off in like the next, we'll say two years. And then that's just a solid, I could cash flow 
probably a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month, and I just have that as a floor of income, which would be really cool. Um, I'm also opening my mind up to aggressively paying down my own personal mortgage and something I'm thinking about as well, but my rate is pretty low. So maybe I'd be better off trying to save up and buy a another rental property in cash and or maybe just put down a really big like a fifty percent down payment. It would take me a couple of years to save that money up. And I don't know if it'd be better off in Bitcoin. So again, it's tough. I just feel lost and I feel confused. And the more I learn about Bitcoin, the more I'm convinced that it's the place to be. That's just me. Everyone's got to do their own research and come to their own conclusion. And it's tough. It's it's a confusing world out there. It's hard to know what exactly to do. But yeah, I still feel crazy having the allocation to Bitcoin that I do in my portfolio, which is like 10%. I still feel crazy though, that I feel like it's the best option some days. Uh, some days I feel like a genius. I mean, it's just been bouncing around 25 to 27 for the last little while. I'm fine with that. I don't really care about the price, but I still just kind of feel crazy some of these days where I'm like, wow, I'm just a Bitcoiner. It feels crazy. Uh, just like my traditional finance mind sneaks back and it's like, why don't you buy stocks? Why don't you buy the things I used to buy? Um, it's very hard for me. It's confusing for me. But overall, I think my diversified approach is what most people are going to do. And I'll probably stick with it for a while. Not going to make any big changes. But I do need to figure out what we're going to allocate our HSA money into. Because if we max it out, I don't want it to sit in cash. Although I think I could buy, there's probably funds where I could buy T-bills. But again, that's perpetuating irrational government spending and buying up government debt. And I don't know if I want to be complicit with all that entails. So it's tough to know what to do at this point. And I'll do more research. I'll share what I learned and try to share what I decide to do at some point. But uh, with that, remember, financial independence is doable. Do your own research. None of this is financial advice. And I'll be back with you soon.